0: This episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast is brought to you live from the World Class Hunting Expo in Pittsburgh, Kansas. The Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by OnX Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers and landowners. Download the OnX Hunt app from your phone's app store today and check out onyxmaps.com for more inside onyx i also want to bring to you garmin build a better dog with devices for tracking and training from obedience to hunting and limiting nuisance barking get exactly what you need to make a life with your hunting buddy that much better go check out the garmin pro 550 plus that's what we're using on this side of town and uh, get yourself ready for the hunting season coming up. Don't have your dog running all out there crazy, get them well broken in collar condition. That's what we are working on now. Go check them out right now at Garmin.com. The Gun Dog Notebook is also brought to you by Dakota 283 Kennels. Check out the new updated price drops on Dakota283kennels.com use the promo code TGDN10 for 10% off at checkout. Also presented to you by Lion Country Supply, the Gun Dog World's premium gun dog supplier. Check him out now. All right guys, we are back. Here it is once again on the mic this time with three historic figures. In the bird dog world, I want to say how privileged I am in a number of ways, namely to be able to get in even the slightest bit of time to sit down with Farrell Miller, Harold Ray, and my good friend Bud Moore. I'm blessed that Bud would even acknowledge Lalo Me as such a friend, and I'm also just honored to have been extended the invite to work dogs down in Waynesboro with Harold Ray at Smith Setters um, and chat with Maurice Lindley and get an invite to come up to uh, South Carolina to work dogs with him. Um, These are just opportunities that you just should not take lightly and I definitely won't. So I wanna take them up on that. In this podcast episode, you guys are going to hear a whole lot of storytelling and not a lot of training. Um, I just wanted to capture these gentlemen's history. Um, And that was the thing that I think really is most important about speaking with these guys. Um I just felt that they've contributed and a lot of people do obviously but they've contributed so much to the bird dog world and its foundation. So ladies and gentlemen, this is Harold Ray, Farrell Miller, and Bud Moore on the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast. Here we go. Well Thank y'all. I appreciate it. Uh, seriously. Um, but thank you for having me out here. So I'm Daryl Smith. I'm coming out here from Atlanta. So I wanted to make the flight out here to get a chance to talk to y'all and just really talk a little bit about history. Um, I'm new in the field trials, new to pointers. Um been bugging Bud all day uh, for the, for the last, how many months now? <laughs> six months? or eight. About six or eight. And, um, I just feel like you, three gentlemen have done a lot for the history of field trialing. So I want to talk, I got a couple of questions for y'all. But um, just to start, if you don't mind going down the line, talk a little bit about your history, Mr. Miller, your history, if you can summarize it a little bit. And then we got Bud as well. Um, I want to talk about, you know, how you got started. and, And what were some of the highlights of your career?
1: Well, I, I can say that, that I, I I'm a farm boy.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: grew up on the farm, and and uh, and and those days when I grew up, uh, we grew everything we eat. You know, twelve of us you can imagine took mm-hmm. a lot of food. Well, uh, anything that we boys uh, killed and dressed, mom would cook for us. Right. And in those days we didn't have electricity. And, and uh, you couldn't keep meat. I mean, the only time we had meat was when uh, the chickens got in the spring mm-hmm. and, and what uh, squirrels, or rabbits, or quail or whatever. Right. And uh, uh, we learned uh, from that. And we grew tobacco, we milked cows. And, uh, that's, and my brothers uh, older than me, my brother and brother-in-law was uh, bird hunters they let me follow them uh, and then once I got big enough well I, well, I went to hunt myself and uh, I, I, I I drove a Volkswagen i traveled 14 counties and I drove a Volkswagen because of the gas mileage right. and I, I drove a Volkswagen down to Grand Junction and rented a horse and saw Regan's White Knight run when he was a derby he had 17 fines he 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 made mistakes on the, about half of them but he was just sailed through that three hours in a way that was unbelievable okay. to me and and the stud fee was 350 and i went trying to figure out how i could get 350 dollars to pay the stud fee because i wanted enough dog like him yeah. and I, and I, I i got enough money to pay the stud fee and i bred to him and that's where all these white dogs come from okay so country. you
0: go back to white night okay all right wow didn't know that <laughs> <laughs> mr uh mr ray how about yourself
2: well i was born and raised on a dairy farm up in maryland pennsylvania and a fella named rodney king uh he just raised dogs to sell advertised in every sporting magazine it was and he'd come out to our farm one day and asked my dad if he could run dogs uh-huh. on the farm and he said yeah and i'd just gotten out of the i'd been i'd left home pretty early yeah. and uh I was like 14 then and i had this skin infection from working in solvent and when this fleet of tractor and trailers come in on the weekend i'd wash and wax every one of them tractors from friday night to monday morning i never slept i Washed and waxed every one of those tractors. Got $5 a truck for doing it. And uh, so I'd been in the hospital for 30 days. They didn't know what it was or how to cure it or anything. But I was rough to look at. One man said, a friend of mine said, I'd never seen a man so rotten and still alive. (laughs) And uh, I had no skin on my chest, back, shoulders, face. I was just, I was an open sore. Well, naturally. Well, anyway, Rodney asked me he was going up to Indian Town Gap. It was an all-age trial, and he uh, going to breed a dog. The dog Dr. Nichman had called Magna. So I went with him, and we always had coon dogs on the place, and we'd squirrel hunt and shoot pheasants. We had some quail and watched them feathers. That thing ain't big enough to eat, you know. I thought they were nuts, you yeah. know, right there, blowing the whistles and the hollering. And so anyway, and we farmed from horses. Dad put me up on a hold on to the reins while I worked the field, mowed hay or whatever. And so the horse and dog thing was right up my alley. So and Mr. King asked me on the way back, he said, how would you like to do that? I said, boy, I'd be all right. Yeah. So the next time he we went back up to breed the second time, he introduced me to Fred Bevin. and he told me that they would take kids to Canada with them and teach them how to work dogs and what have you. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I wrote to uh, Mr. Bevan, and he answered me back and said that you know kids get homesick, and he'd rather I wait till the fall, and if I still interested. Into writing. And before Mrs. Bevan died, um, the first field trial I ever won was a shooting dog derby at Dialane. I won first and second. A fellow, John Robertson, owned the winner, and they give silver goblets back, and it was no cheap stuff. And he had a dog called Harry a Mammoth, I won first with, was a setter. And the funny thing about the setter, he had flagged really bad on his birds. But if the birds left, he would be tight. So in the, they run a second series between him and Dr. Nitschman's dog. And he was in this pond pointed. And Doc's dog come in, and, and I called point, He was just really <laughs> flying. And Doc's dog come in and knocked the bird for the judges got there. And the judge got there. He was standing just <laughs> as pretty as you could please. Yeah. And Mrs. Smith owned, I mean, Mrs. Bevin owned a second-place dog called Southern Friday. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, before she died, she called me over there. She wanted me to have that second-place trophy, and she had the original letter that I wrote her. It's like parchment right now, but she gave me that. So I have that original letter with his answer on the back. Wow. So that fall, I wrote him and went went to Georgia in 1958. I was working on another dairy farm, Yoni uh, job i get it was fifteen dollars for every two weeks i get in 750 a week so when mr bevins offered me fifty dollars a month i i moved up
0: <laughs> you got right
2: on moved it. up but they fed me and what have you and then i worked for him for about to 1964 and <clears throat> he I'm very sensitive about my dogs. we was working dogs, and he said something about the dog, and I flew off and got mad, and I told him I quit. <clears throat> well, there's next morning he didn't think I'd quit, and he said you can't quit, and I said yes, sir, I quit. I didn't. I had three dollars in my pocket
1: because
2: yeah. he hadn't paid me for the summer's work or anything. So anyway. Uh, <clears throat> Went in to, When I leave in the yard, he said, well, I'll fix it to where you can't get a job nowhere. Well, this red hair kind of has a story behind it, you know. So the first thing I thought about, I was going to go work for Phil Bruso. He was not the top man, but I knew I could get along with him, and he'd treat me right. And that was important. So anyhow, in the in Anthony Wayne Motel in Waynesboro, they had a phone booth. And if you put two quarters in it, they would keep coming through. So I had a dollar and quarters. So I called Mr. Smith. And he said, Are you sure you quit? And I said, Yes, sir. I was just calling him out of spite, you know, because he asked, I said, You asked me to call if I ever quit again. And I, he says, Well, have you got a, a place to stay? I said, Yes, sir, because the motel room in Anthony Wayne was $3 <laughs> for the night. So I got to, and he sent Clarence Scott out uh, next morning and took me out to the place, then flew me to Pittsburgh, and it's kind of history
1: yeah.
2: after that. Um, the first dog truck we had, he built it. The horse went in the center, and the dogs had 12 crates, six on each side dog sleep there. Then there's a place on each side of the horse yeah. where you could store stuff. But when I went to Canada, Sherry shop on one side and I slept on the other. Yeah. And I remember pulling out of a gas station. It was 27 cents a gallon. And I said, I am not paying 27 cents. It was about 15, 18 cents most time back in. Then. then we got pretty tired because at night that old truck would be so uh, front end be so light you just staring all day yeah. and my arms would be throbbing so I was up in Minnesota and there's was, was a red roof in. Yeah. about 2 o'clock in the morning so I went in there to see if we get a room they said yeah I said how much is it they said, $22. I said, lady, I just want to sleep a few hours. I don't want to buy the place. <laughs> so I went back out, got in the truck, and slept with the horse. And went on. But one of the greatest thing, one of the things I'm most proud of and accomplishment was when I won all four placements with mates in the New England fraternity. Then I won three of the four placements with the same litter, in the quail fraternity, and I'd, if the other dog had pointed the birds, I'd won all four placements. Really? Well, that
0: was setters too?
2: That was setters <laughs> and litter mates. And when you start, that's probably something that may not get repeated. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the things. So, and, and I've been proud. I worked for a great man. Mr. Smith knew how to work with people. Yeah. He would never, if you were in a work act, would ever say anything to you. If it's something he didn't disagree with or something. Day or two ladies, he said, How are you doing today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you get time sometimes, said stop by the house. He said, We hadn't visited in a while. Yeah. And we said, How's things going? Said, well, know, yeah, good He get kind of feel things. He said, The other day you was working copper, he said, I didn't quite understand why you got on it. Well, what it is, you're not mad if it said something like that. I probably flew back at it, yeah. and then we'd have gotten... it. gave It gave me a chance to explain what I did, or if I was in the wrong, it brought it to my attention without ever getting in the wrong. Right. And he was a, uh, he was just a great man. I was never pressured to for any field trial. Wanted to get it rid of a dog He never argued the point i would some of the reasons some good dogs i sold one was a dog called Flair. she won 15 championship the other was Smokers bobby she won 14 and i said mr smith i can win with these dogs but i don't want to breed to either one of them they took one all them championship and they never produced a puppy that won even a puppy state. And that's where you got to quit kidding yourself. It's hard to be straight with yourself. Yeah. I quit. can relate. I quit five dogs. I don't do things just out of thinking it might work. Yeah. I want facts. Right. I quit five dogs that most trainers would have never quit one summer. I took a complete record of all my dogs, did, wrote down how long I worked him, what he did, every workout entire summer. When I finished that summer, I went over my notes. And if he hadn't won a field trial that summer, i never run him again. What well, makes me think I'm going to do something at the field trial I can't do in a workout? And uh, I know you really elaborated on that, the practice, and think you do it at home. I've been to trials, and I'm watching, uh, I don't watch. Matter of fact, this weekend is the first time I've watched Doug run dogs in a long since he actually started. Reason being, he's not gonna do it like I do it, and I don't wanna say nothing to him. But I'm gonna tell you, you couldn't have been no prouder <clears> than <throat> I was watching him. <laughs> yeah, He was thinking like I was thinking. We were doing, we was on the same page and God, I left there proud.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: okay. And that's just about where I'm
3: at. All right.
0: Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So I'm going I'm to go to Mr. Moore and then I got a couple more because I don't want to hold up too much of y'all. There you go.
3: Uh the notes and writing it down and going back. I've kept a journal from the first quail I ever killed. And I stress in all of my seminars, if it's not on paper, it did not happen because I want the, the new generation of people to have a plan for success. So I want them to write down where are they going with this dog? Where are they now? How are we going to get to where we want to go with this dog? with it Uh, and we all grew up in a time when you had to know the value of a dollar Uh, I was raised on my grandfather's Indian allotment farm there were seven adults and four children lived in grandfather's house and we learned to respect our elders and we learned to pray and us children would dry the dishes every night and mother and grandmother would wash and we learned our Bible verses I will never forget the Beatitudes because I got kind of slap happy one night and rhymed the Beatitudes and my mother hit me up the side of the head with a six inch cast iron skillet and cold cocked me you do not make fun of the Lord's word But my grandfather had bird dogs. And it did not bother him to spend a lot of money to buy a class bird dog. He didn't have a lot of dogs, but he always had good dogs. And so I grew up knowing the value of a good dog. Now, I was unfortunate in that my father uh, and I disagreed mightily about my upbringing so to speak and uh so i left home at 15. and one of my uncles was a man named dan huddleston who was big in the britney world and he and aunt evelyn never had any children he had a used car lot in oklahoma city and he let it be known that there was always a bed and a washing machine to wash my clothes and a hot meal at their house for me. Uh, And in the early 60s when I was footloose and fancy free and rodeoing an awful lot and working odd jobs and day jobs to earn a dollar to go down the road a little bit more buying that 18, 19 cent a gallon gasoline. And uh, every filling station in the little country towns, you could go in and buy thick cut sliced bologna and a tube of crackers. They were a nickel each. So for 10 cents, you could buy enough bologna and crackers that you had three square meals. And they were square meals because the little crackers were square. But in 1964... My Uncle Dan Huddleston and I were partners in a Britney Spaniel called Bill's Buddy Boy. And he won the U.S. Open for Britney Spaniels. And that was the first championship bird dog I was ever involved with. And uh, I I ran a lot of Britneys and and, uh, was very successful with the Britneys. But in 1969, I was in Inola, Oklahoma. When Dr. Stormy Mac went through those grounds up there and blistered the prairie and had three great finds. And that was the last Brittany I ever owned. <laughs> now I made a terrible mistake. I made the mistake of going to Mr. John Criswell to get my first pointers. And of course, he was standing a rambling rebel and rebel and rambling rebel Dan and those dogs. So I did not get a white dog. I got a lot of color in my dogs. And they ran an awful lot, but they didn't point very many birds. Uh, It took me a long time to get dogs that ran and found and pointed some birds. And then about four years ago, I was privileged to judge a derby stake where Miller's speed dial was turned loose. And he ran through that country right and pointed to covey of birds and looked right on it. And I put him up first in that derby stake. And uh, as I said this morning in my seminar, I saw the light. And I ended up with a daughter of speed dial out of a sister to game maker. And uh, then I ended up with a a couple of more white dogs and uh, my friend in South Carolina called me two years ago and said, Bud, I have a litter of five puppies. There's one female and four males. And I think you really need this female. She is classy and he said, I sent you a a video of her. Well, she was just six weeks old, and uh, his wife was walking the puppies, and so here's a picture, about three minutes of video on a flip phone, not even an iPhone, a flip phone of a six-week-old puppy walking in grass taller than she was, and uh so I, uh, I called him, and I said, uh, well, how much do you want for her? And he said, same as, as I charged you for the last puppy. And I said, how are we going to get her here? And he said, I don't know. And I said, are you going to Mr. Farrell's puppy program? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, when are you leaving? And he told me, and I said, would you leave a day early? And he said, why? And I said, because that would make that puppy being weaned and separated on the 49th day. And I want that puppy weaned and separated on the 49th day because that's when the seeing eye dog people say to separate them. And he did. And he took the the puppy to Mr. Farrell's program. And uh, was there a couple of days. And he gave the puppy to Ike. And Ike took the puppy to West Tennessee. And a young man I'd been mentoring had gone to Blake Kukar's to take Blake two stud fee puppies. So he drove the half mile down to Ike's house and picked up the puppy then and brought her home to my wife and uh, walked in the front door. And she was two days shy of being eight weeks old. And uh, my wife said, this looks like Molly to me. And uh, so we had had Molly about an hour and a half when my wife said, come on, we're going to the pigeon coop. And so we took Molly, two days shy of eight weeks old, to the pigeon coop, And we held her little feet up there, and the pigeons were all on the sun and loft cooing, and she liked to make them fly. And that was the start of Molly falling in love with birds and how we got her interested in birds. And the rest is all history now. You know, Molly won the Montana Shooting Dog Derby this and then she went from there up to the All American and won the All American Shooting Dog Derby. We've had her in three derbies this fall and she's won them all three. So, uh, but the thread runs so common of, of our background, our being raised, our writing things down and keeping the records of all of this. And the fact that, you know, you're a setter man and he's the father of the white dogs. And I finally ended up being successful really successful with a white dog okay all
0: right so in light of all of that now one thing that i do enjoy about all of y'all's personality is y'all all have different ideologies right training wise y'all do different things you run different dogs but what are you guys also compete against each other and probably have at, at some point in time no, you haven't the all age circuit, not the okay, so, all right, so that leads me into my question, what, what are some of the major distinctions for you guys between all age and shooting dog, like what are some of the things that differentiate those circuits, especially for new guys coming in that are trying to fall into the field trial?
2: And, uh, my personal opinion about the top shooting dog and the top all-age dog in the south is preparation.
1: Okay.
2: You can prepare that dog if he's a good one, and you can, I believe, could win both trials. When you get into the all-age, some of your three-hour trials, you're gonna to have to get into a little bit different dog, but the average hour trial, you can only run so much. I my background started with all lace dogs. So as we talking about old Cashmaster at the National, that's been mine, but Farrell was right. I fought the dog He's making these big swings and turn them and what have. You. <clears throat> but I know some of my top dogs. Uh, I have to fight them, do things like rode them an hour, lay them up an hour, right. or uh, do things. They would have won. Well, Bill Hunt made the statement one time. He watched Performer Run at Missouri. And years later, he said, You know, if you had had old Earl, River Wrangler, and I'd had Tony, the performer, he said we'd have still won just as much. Yeah, yeah. So I... Okay.
1: Uh, I agree with Harold. Uh, it's, uh, a, you know, a good dog. Uh, he's got to grab that edge and, and go down it and hunt the birdie spots. and uh, the, the, the only dog might go a little further and uh, be a little more independent and uh, the scout can do a little more in the all eights than they can in the shooting dog. He can grab him and take him all around. For the shooting dog people, sometimes they, they want you to stay in the gallery unless you go to a particular and see if the dog's on point. So you want to walk up on that dog. Right. Right. Okay.
2: Okay. The only thing I'd just like to add on on uh, what Mr. Farrell Knight said, I could prepare for the all eights trial. And push him just as far, but then I'd have to quit the shooting dog, because mm-hmm. he'd been all age dog yet. Yeah. And saying. and that's why, Mister Smith. They, they said, "Well, why don't you run him in the all age trial? Okay. He says, "He says you have to decide what you're going to do in life and do that." Just
1: stick to it, okay. Dave Grubbs trial. No, you yeah. can't. Dave Grubbs.
2: Yeah. When you, when you try to do both with the same dog, you get in a confused situation. The dog gets confused, and then when you want to run the shooting dog stake, then you go to all day stake. Then you'll be out there riding further, helping the dog get that extra hundred yards that your dog's going to do on his own. So you really need to not switch
0: them okay all right so after mr ray gave his recollection um i transitioned over to mr bud moore to talk about his experiences running up with uh in the same brace as farrell miller right before he uh, started talking we had a bit of a microphone uh technical difficulty so he picks up um, at the park. I said, Mr. Farrell, I'm going to go um, uh, an there. so so pick my dog up.
3: But when you go over this hill, there's an old home place down there. There'll be a great big pear tree. And I said, there's always been a covey of quail down in that creek bottom behind that old home place. And I picked my dog up and Mr. Farrell took his dog and went over the hill and pointed a covey of quails. And won an amateur derby championship.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh huh. <laughs> Not Bud, Bud Daughtery.
0: Yep. Okay. He was judging.
3: Yep. Okay. Sure was.
0: Now you said the dog wasn't listening, wasn't doing anything. What did you go back afterwards and, and work on that? after that
3: trial. When I got her home, I put her in the kennel and sure enough, within 10 days, she came into season. And you can't work on a dog like that because you cannot get into a dog's mind, especially a female, that's coming into season. That is so hormonally controlled that you can have the best female in the world. And that's why a lot of people won't run females. Because when they do come in season, some of them will quit you some of them just go crazy and that rare one it doesn't bother them a bit but for the most part females when they come in season uh, just will not do right so uh, and I like to personally I like to run females I think females are a, a little more responsive and of course I like to run young dogs and I think females is, on the younger set, the puppies in the derbies are more responsive than than their brothers are. Um,
0: one of my last things, and, and I'll kind of wrap everything up. Um, Mr. Miller, you talked about going when you were working, when you were first starting out, you visited a bunch of camps, training camps up north and things like that, right? And you mentioned there was a lot of things that you saw, and I don't want to get into the who, You mentioned there was a lot of things that you saw that you didn't like. What were some of the things that all three of you guys throughout your, y'all's histories, what were some of the things that y'all didn't like and how did you go about improving on it?
1: You remember what what Harold said about heredity? Mm -hmm. He said, if you see a puppy and he's low tail, now you can't do nothing about that. If you see a puppy trailing birds on the ground, and don't get his head up, you can't do nothing about that. That's heredity, right? And some of the things that are or heredity, uh, I don't spend my time with. Them. I know Harold and I know he and Mr. Smith did an excellent job of, of culling through those setters and picking the best ones because they had the best in the country, right? Okay, so, okay, How about yourself. <clears throat>
2: Talking about what you, you learn from watching somebody. Do. I've learned more by seeing wrong than I have by seeing good. I remember, and it was braced with Riggins White Knight all the first year he went to Canada. he uh, Riggins White Knight, first year, always, dog. Braced with a trainer named Bob Huffman. Mr. Hull would get out in front of us and run the dog. And Mr. Huffman would stay about 100 yards parallel to the left the heart. And I didn't know anything about field trials, but I know I didn't like that. I couldn't see, I wanted to see his dogs. And that's why I brought my dog. The dog was running in front of him over there. And I know, and, and there's these kind of things, when you see something that catches your attention, that you don't like or that you like. On the other hand, Mr. John Gates, when I watched him run a dog, I was mesmerized. He had a nice looking horse. He dressed nice. When he pointed a dog out, he was smooth. Everything was so smooth about it that uh, it just flowed. And that stuck in my mind all my life was watching John Gates run a dog on the prairie up there. Whether it was winning with it or wasn't wasn't done. Everything about his operation flowed. It was smooth. There wasn't nothing that just I don't like that. Yeah. You turn that
1: horse sideways
0: most
2: of the time. Absolutely. I I, I got it I don't know whether you want this story oh, on, yeah. on here or not. Do, but everybody, all the handlers, the all age circuit hated to be drawn with Fred Bevan. His philosophy and some of the old trainers was you had to eliminate your brace, mate. And they didn't really care how they did it. We were braced with a dog, Mr. Johns, first-year dog called War Exterminator, and we was running Mike's home again. Well, <clears throat> both dogs were lost. <clears throat> it was like a triangle. I'd come back to the gallery. Fred was over here and Mr. John was over here and it was a perfect triangle. Mr. John like I said turned broadside that big hat and held it up there and uh, he looked as big as the Empire State building over there just far as you could see. Yeah. Well we all started riding toward Mr. John. Well what Fred would do, and a couple of other trainers would do at that time. They'd come flying right in the bushes and run through there like they didn't hear you. or Something. Like. Here come Fred. We all got there at the same time, and just before Fred run in the bushes, Mister John says, "It's your dog, Fred." <laughs> <laughs> <That's wonderful. laughs> okay. So okay. <laughs> So he, he was, you know, if he been a Mr. John sat on the tailgate of that truck and he had a prostate cancer, told me story after story after yeah. story. Okay. He would tell me one about a judge he couldn't win on. Really? He said, How no matter what I did, don't you see? He'd end any, every sentence. Yeah. Statement with, Don't you see?
1: Yeah.
2: And he said, No matter what I did, I couldn't win on. He just didn't like him. He said, I don't know what the problem was, but he said, one day at a field trial, and I don't remember Judge's name, but he, come, he said, I went to him, and said, Mr. So-and-so said, I've got this dog, he's got this problem, and I can't fix him. Yeah. He says, you have any idea what I might do to fix that dog? And that boy, he perked up, and he went to Rattling off and told me, John, what to do with that dog? He said, next time I seen him, he said, I went to zoo, said, I just want to thank you. He said, you remember me asking you about what to do with that dog? He said, I did it, and I want you to know that fixed it. John said, I've never run a dog under him again that I didn't play something. Yeah, <laughs> all right, all right. But he knew how to so, raise so people. He didn't find it. Yeah. He, he beat you with his head. Really? He think ahead of you. Trying to figure trying
0: to yeah. you
2: out. I tell you so many stories. <laughs> I uh, thought he was running, tech, running uh, medallion in the Georgia championship. But back in these years, if I was in that guy watch, I didn't miss nothing. I can tell you every step David day made. Medallion pointed to Covey Bird. He was rigid. His name was Gambler's Eye. And John got him to change his name. And he couldn't flush the bird. And when Mr. John sent him on, the dog just took off the left and took off. Nobody said nothing, anything. Peck had that dog stopped, running right back up there. John called him there. And the dog went on in there and pulled him through. But they run a second series because he didn't like that situation. And uh, years later, I was talking to Mr. John about that. He said, yeah, he said, he'd blank a relocation. He said, he wouldn't relocate. He said, Peck knew it. And he said, he brought him, <laughs> and got him in there. And got him. Yeah. But it was so smooth even that. It wasn't nobody hollering. He didn't holler. That was just on that horse just right now. Got the, dog didn't get much further than here to where uh, Yeah. So he didn't do a
0: whole lot of talking, a whole lot just
2: He just exactly. But if you was at the field trial. I went to the Continental one time. We'd had a dog we got runner up in the Georgia Derby. Mr. Herman had won it. Well, Mr George Clark was supposed to help me and furnish me a horse when I got down there. Yeah. Come time to run with George Clark. The horse said his horse was tired and he couldn't go and didn't have a horse. John had the horse and the scout and turn the dog loose without asking.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. 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 Wow. So y'all just got a story. So I guess one of those things you saw what you liked, what you didn't like. So you guys had trainers that just really motivated you. So for you it was I guess your the the number one trainer for you that stuck out for you before your time.
1: No, John John
0: John Gates. Uh huh. John Rex. So that John Rex for you too, Mister Mister John
2: Rex is his dad. Uh, okay. John's his dad of John Rex. Okay. John
1: Rex come along later. Uh, I didn't. I I saw John S Gates run uh, Safari down. Uh, and they were smooth. I saw Clyde Rowan Morton. Okay. i never said, seen Clyde. I, I, I saw Clyde Rowan Campbell, and uh, he was smooth. Yeah. And, and so, you know, every one of them, uh, uh, Hall was organized at that time. Yeah. John Rex was
2: organized at that time, and they stood out. Okay. I mean, one of the stories I can tell about John Rex. He took over his dad's string by the time I went to working for Mr. Smith. John Rex didn't like his daddy's type dog. His daddy had a dog that was all in there big time. And him and Pat could get around. John Rex really liked a handier dog that he could work with a little. flush. Yeah, and that was a very, every time I seen Safari in Canada, I said she was through. She wasn't a prairie dog. But you come down south, you couldn't beat her. Yeah. She'd run where you could see her, won't stand back off that bird, you'd never lose her. Okay. And she was always, uh, uh, always in there. But John Rex was telling me I was helping marshal Georgia championship one year. And John Rex was off to the left. And they asked me to go over I told him, he said, yeah, I said, I know. He said, David rode up Covey Birds over there this morning. He said, he called point in a minute. He no sooner said that than you know, they even called point. And he was telling me later, he said, You know, Harold, this was kind of sitting around talking. A lot of these guys got a lot better dogs than I got. He said they beat themselves.
0: Really? So, again, like you always say, but more handle air than anything, letting the dog do it. Okay. So that goes back all the way back then, too. Okay. All right. You, I- sir.
3: When I first went north, as a teenager, I was enhanced with the Britney world, and I went to Lee Holman's camp. And of course, Jimmy Holman was just a little bit younger than I, but not much. And Jimmy Holman and John Rex were the best of buddies. And when I came along, I was kind of the odd man in the group, but we all three had one thing in common we love to fish. And there wasn't anything Captain John hated worse than that love of fishing. So the three of us would sneak around to go fish. And, we, and John Rex would just pray that Daddy wouldn't catch us fishing. And uh, one night we were, it was dark, and we had come back in and still had chores to do. And uh, we all went our separate ways to do our chores and, of course, taking care of, of, you know, each one of us had a, a string of dogs that was ours to take care of, feed and clean up after and everything like that. And this was way before we had kennels up there, you know, so cleaning up after the dog was really a chore back then. But we all did that, and we thought we had gotten away with having spent about three hours that afternoon fishing and we had our fishing poles stashed. Well, it was about three or four days later, we decided we'd sneak off and go fishing again. So we went and dug our fishing poles up out of the stash where we had them and every pole was broke in half. Needless to say, nobody had to ask who did what or why. And that ended our fishing for the summer, Couldn't because none of us could afford to go buy a fishing pole. <laughs> Wow, so
0: it seems like the, I wanna sum it all up, right? A lot of y'all's upbringing influenced the way that y'all raise your dogs, which I think is important. It seems like my generation, the guys that's coming up with, we've got, we've got a lot of different resources. You got the internet, you've got social media, this, social media that, right? but it seems like you guys were much more hands on because of the lessons that you guys got from your families. You know, Mr. Miller, you opened up your seminar talking about, you know, a love of God and the lessons that your father's taught you and so on and so forth and your upbringing. Um, it just seems like y'all worked really hard and I wanted to take that lesson, you know, and get a couple of stories from you guys um, and hopefully apply that to my own training. You know, I um, I look at a lot of what y'all were doing back in the day, read a lot of American Field and Walt when he was writing stuff and all of that stuff. Um, And it just seems like y'all. It came from a deeper place is what I'm trying to say. It seemed like it came from a much deeper place. Um, So I just wanted to, you know, get that on air, talk to you and and dig into y'all's backgrounds.
3: We did what we did because we loved the animal we were working with, and we loved the end result. So what do you think now, is different now? All of all of the three of us are very, very competitive, but winning wasn't the reason we got into this. We got into it because we came from a rural background. We loved the animals, and we loved the end result of it. And winning was a blessing. Okay. That was the frosting on the cake. That's what kept us coming back week after week after week.
0: Do you, you know, it's, do you think that's um, applies? Now go ahead.
3: When
2: I started out, I have never worked for money in my life. I quit Fred Bevin because he hurt my feelings about her, saying something about my dog. Yeah. Dogs have been my life. <clears throat> I quit a job I, when I quit Fred that one year. I went back to New Jersey where I worked on Atlantic City Airport, making more money. Now I, I was making sometimes five hundred dollars a week, and I was making fifty dollars a month down there. Well, Fred come up to the English Setter Club and called me and asked me if I'd come up there. And I, you run this dog up there? That I'd raised and I had the same breeding as Safari. Hecuba bird dog qualified for national winners at Derby, and because of that dog, I quit that job. Went back to Canada. <laughs> Tell you about that trip. I probably took the last Western train ride that was ever in, in I existence. Know. I flew in to Rapid City, I think I just or Aberdeen, South Dakota and took a train to Minot. Well, I'm sitting there, and I done met sharing and I wasn't too sure, but then I wanted to finish this trip. I had an old suitcase. I seen these fancy trains up there, and I'd asked, "Man, is that my train? No, your train's late. Another one left. Come in. Is that my train? No, your train's late. I hadn't got here yet. Directly a train come in, I looked out there. It's like like something you see in the movies. Great big old windows, the side doors is open. That's your train. Got on that train. It had a stove in the middle, and the seats faced each other, wooden seats. You looked at each other, but I didn't see nobody. I was the only one on the train. It had the milk cans. My suitcase was there. And we left out there, and that old train just get to moving, barely moving, and it would stop. Get to going again. Stop again, just a little bit. And I look out the window, and they were visiting, and the lady there at the train stop had a pie and give it to the conductor. And they visited a while and put the milk cans on there. We went on. It took me four hours from Aberdeen, South Dakota. Uh, not it wasn't mine not. It's a little town just across the border, and uh, it not I can't think of it right now. But Frederick was to meet me there, so I finally asked the conductor, "How come?" We couldn't go any faster. That fast he'd go. And he said, yes sir. so if we go over 35, it'll jump off the tracks. So we went 35 mile an hour. He come back there. He says, I guess I have to punch your ticket. He said, this is a ride that you can tell your grandkids about. Not having a cam- camera or something other. That was something. But it was one of the movie trains yeah. that I took that last ride, or that ride to Canada up there. But when I got to a field trial, all I ever wanted out of my dogs, it may happen, him give me a good performance. That's what I worked for was that dog and that performance. And I did get upset a lot of times when that dog was really, when you knew it was injustice, and injustice does happen out right there. And for whatever reason, won't get into that, but it's a, it's a part of it, and that's the hardest thing. We are like the coach. What was the coach for the New York Yankees for so many years? He got in a lot of trouble, but you're fighting for your team, yeah. and when somebody does something that takes away from your team, I'd to give every nickel, every one back to give that dog what I felt he deserved. You know back there, and it's that love of animals, it's that love of them that I got on the horse and rode the National Amateur and, and judged it in the National Open, never missed a brace, and and you just go. And I can tell you what every one of them dogs did because I was watching them just like, it's the love of the dog and what you're doing out there that, that keeps you going.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know, it, I was a little different circumstances. I was an amateur and, and, and uh, I, I, I had to, uh, at least I thought it did, I had to break some dogs that, uh, that uh, I didn't like and I didn't want to keep just uh, so I could pay the expenses. Right. And and uh, I I sold a lot of those dogs to the boys down south to hunt on the plantations. Mm-hmm. And I sold some of the dogs. But I, I always thought I had one better if I sold one of the a, a competitive
0: dogs. You never went back. You never did semen. Or anything. You never pulled it. Okay. I didn't think so.
2: But well, we was under two. De- I'm working private with one man. Yeah, I could to keep yeah, it down sure. there. Yeah. And that's, that's what it was. Yeah. I, we all, you know, the circumstances dictate how you live and what you do and what you, what you do. I didn't have to worry about money because Mr. Smith furnished my truck, furnished everything I needed. All I had to do is buy food and clothes. Okay. And when I went to work for him, it was $150 a month, but I could save money.
0: Right. You know, because I didn't have no expenses. Right. Okay. I uh, I appreciate that, and I hope that message is received. It seems to me like nowadays us guys just work for something a little a little different. You know, um, you guys had a lot of hard working. So that's all Um, I could sit here and ask y'all fifty million different more questions. But uh, Mr. Miller, Mr. Ray, Mr. Moore, if you know if y'all don't have anything else. You know i can wrap it on up i just appreciate you sitting down with me well, we enjoy it. i definitely and and you know, I, uh, I
2: feel like all we can do now is pass it on
0: yeah yeah well I mean, hope hope
2: it, it sticks yeah somewhere that you can help somebody yeah
3: come along because we didn't have it
0: yeah well it stuck with me i can tell you that now
3: let me let me end by saying that uh One of the favorite pictures that I have is the Facebook saver on my computer. And it's Mr. Farrell Miller fixing some pork out of a crock pot (laughs) in the serving line at Hell Creek, Mississippi. And he had that typical, look at him right now, (laughs) that typical Farrell Miller twinkle in the eye and smile on the face showing those upper teeth yeah that's typical feral miller the twinkle in the eye and that little smile that goes from <laughs> here to here that's on my face saver on my computer and that's one of my favorite pictures okay
0: how much i remember that then you did a lot of that winning too <laughs> <laughs> Never enough. That's well,
3: cool. You heard this morning, I've won 601 now. And that pales in comparison. <laughs> he won way more than that in just championships. Man, I uh,
0: it's it's the white dogs. So, I'm convinced don't get me one now. Good. I'm convinced, I'm Good. convinced. All right, gentlemen, well, I'm gonna wrap it up. Again, guys, I'd like to thank all my sponsors and affiliates from Onyx Maps, our title sponsor to Eukanuba Sporting Dog, to Garmin Fish and Hunt, um, for to Dakota 283 Kennels, to Lion Country Supply, and everybody else that has been supporting the podcast since day one. Thanks again to Project Upland and the Northwoods Collective.